if every person had a right to their own story, right, and saw that story amplified, we perhaps might live in a much more interesting and much more just world. A warm welcome to Philanthropy Bites, where you get to deep dive into the lives of inspiring and visionary leaders, all of whom are working to change minds and move money to address some of the most critical issues of our time. I'm Cheryl Fafaria from JP Morgan's Philanthropy Centre, and this podcast is brought to you by us and the Marshall Institute at the London School of Economics, whose director, Professor Stefan Chambers, is our host. We're super thrilled to be joined by Cara Metes, who is an outstanding theorist and practitioner of storytelling for impact and social justice. Cara has spent her career telling stories as a documentary filmmaker at the Sundance Institute, at the Ford Foundation, and now, most recently, running the International Resource for Impact and Storytelling Project, a $30 million initiative to help frontline communities in the global south spread their own messages through short films, animation, social media, and other visual content. Over to Stefan and Cara for more. We're enormously fortunate today to have probably the preeminent practitioner and theorist of storytelling for social justice and storytelling supported by philanthropy as our guest today. Cara, very warm welcome. Thank you so much. Cara, I want to start by asking you a little bit about your own story. Um, uh, it's, it's a kind of interesting trajectory from filmmaker to, um, as it were, the point of contact between big philanthropy and storytelling for other uh, filmmakers, particularly filmmakers in the global south. So I wonder if you could sketch that trajectory for us. Well, I'd be happy to. That's a great question. And I have been thinking about how I got here. Um, these days, particularly in a transition where you're launching a new um, donor collaborative, a new initiative. Um, and, you know, I thought I'd go further back than I usually do um, and and sort of relay to you um, that, you know, I grew up in Kansas, which is in the middle of the country, smack dab in the middle of the U.S., um, and went east uh, as soon as it was legal, as I like to say, and found myself uh, coming up in public television as sort of my idea of civil service, but through media. So I really came up in public television. It taught me producing, it taught me directing, it taught me um, how to, how to um, think about this question of storytelling and audience. And so I had you know, roles in public television as an executive, and then um, in nonprofits, uh, specifically at Sundance, really thinking deeply about the nature of creativity, the role of the artist in society. Um, and then that brought me to philanthropy, where, um, in particular, Ford Foundation, where I was for eight years, is very good at identifying and bringing in field leaders to become field builders. And that was the sort of eight years that I spent at the foundation doing two different initiatives, and they brought me to um, this international resource for impact and storytelling. And I, I'd say that the through line in all of this, and really it's a, it's a question that, that you know, has, has uh, unfolded or unpeeled like an onion over the decades. The question is what difference 
do the stories that we tell make? And if you dig into that question, in the artist side of that question, the story side of that question, the audience side of that question, and finally the, the difference, the impact side of that question, it's really a lifetime of exploration. Interesting. So a lifetime of exploration on the storytelling side. What about on the impact side? I mean, what's, in, what's, what's interesting and provocative about what you're saying is, is that the, the, these stories have to make a difference. So how do we, how do we, as it were, unpick the difference that stories make? Well, you know, there has been a lot of writing recently. You know, I think I've talked about uh, Yuval Noah Harari's writing. Um, there are a number of people that are talking about, you know, humans as creatures that make meaning. And we organize ourselves through that meaning making, right? Um, so we have come to see that storytelling itself is very powerful uh, for the human creature, right? And I think it's really this insight and this, uh, this the d discourse that's going on right now that's really driven a need to fund in this area, to really resource this area so that we begin to understand much more deeply narrative strategies. Some people talk about it as worldview. How is it that we make meaning? How is it that our values and our beliefs are then embedded in single stories? And how does a, a portfolio or a, of, of single stories add up to a discourse? Um, this is exactly what we're trying to explore right now with the International Resource for Impact and Storytelling, um, which really wants to sit um, inside philanthropy, but reach out to the field and create a, a kind of safe space for connection between philanthropy, uh, civic innovators, creative storytelling, and narrative strategists. And that particular, I guess, quadrangle hasn't really been put together in one entity before. There's really no other resource that is trying to make those connections and then itself connect into issue-based uh, funding and philanthropy and, you know, by extension, you know, social progress in the areas that we care about. So that's IRIS, as I as I call it by its acronym. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about how that got funded, how it got started, what it intends to do. So, you know, I mentioned Ford Foundation. It's very, you know, quite a, an astonishing place to work in a lot of ways. And one of the, um, I think, interesting things about the past few years since Darren Walker has been president, and Darren is a, a real innovator and visionary and a risk taker. He's, he's uh, quite extraordinary as the leader of the foundation. So I spent two years with the international programs doing something that philanthropy doesn't ordinarily do, which is incubate um, and really create a, a spinoff, um, which is exactly what IRIS is. It's a spinoff of the work that Ford Foundation was doing um, inside the international programs, which is essentially an extension of Ford that invites other donor partners into this space of intersection, as I said, between creative storytelling, civic innovation, and narrative, uh, narrative strategies. So that was the basis of it. The two years worked so well, and we had so much momentum that we were actually able to launch in July with this thesis. So we have uh, Compton Foundation, Skoll Foundation, Ford Foundation, and, and very soon we'll be announcing two new partners coming in. Um, and those partners really are very aligned. A lot of people listening to this will be philanthropists in their own right. And one of the responses I can imagine is saying, look, I'm not the Ford Foundation. 
You know, I'm not Compton or Skoll. Um, uh, I deploy less capital. How, nonetheless, do I engage with this, what you might call narrative imperative? You know, if every grant I make has a component of argumentation or persuasion or 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 story what do i do because i'm only i'm i'm giving orders of magnitude less money in any given year what does this mean for me is it is it within my grasp i love this question stefan because it uh holds an assumption that i actually don't agree with and that is that that scale equals quality or scale equals impact and scale of funding specifically equals impact. And for that very reason, um, inside the IRIS partnerships, we did not say there's a minimum amount that you need to give in order to participate in this because in my view and in the view of the people that I'm working with, um, the size of the grant does not equate with the size of the impact necessarily. And I think that one of the lessons I've learned being in philanthropy in the relatively short time I have, is that one of the best things that philanthropy can do is model, right? And ideas are the beginning of a model, right? Concepts, uh, knowledge, and the way that you organize knowledge. Now, you need humans to do that. You don't necessarily need tens of millions of dollars to do that. I want to get to what I think is, at least from my perspective, one of the key questions here. Are we really talking about more stories or is what you really mean better stories? You know, we can only have a limited amount of stories, right? And some are going to be better than others. And we're just overwhelmed by stories. Um, There are too many stories. Therefore, we need less stories so that the better ones rise to the top. I actually uh, uh, would go the opposite direction and, and would say if every person had a right to their own story, right, and saw that story amplified we perhaps might live in a much more interesting and much more just world. Because the right to your own story, right, is, is, a, is, a, is a way to build power, to build a, a, a way to have some kind of control, some kind of agency, um, you know, in terms of the conditions of your own life and your community's life. So I would say a, a story for every person, not less stories because the quality is getting diluted. There has to be an implicit assumption that some stories are ones that we think make the world better and some stories are ones we think the world make the world worse. And I'm assuming that at some point we, that is to say you, have to be explicit about what we mean by stories that make the world better. Right. And I do have a definition of that um, and I call it a transformational story. And transformational stories are stories that don't just tell us about, right? They invite us to rethink the the implications um, of whatever the story, you know, content is, whatever the issue is in the story. They also invite curiosity and imagination, not fear and loathing, for instance. So those transformational stories actually invite the human to become more curious, more open, the person to actually be more tolerant, for instance, or more accepting, uh, more realizing the interconnectedness, not the competitive nature of life, right? Which is another big narrative uh, divide that we have, I would say, is that people that see the world in a connected fashion 
and then f- people that build a world that is uh, built around competition and division, um, you know, the winners and the losers. So that's transformational stories question that dichotomy. And those, in, in fact, they, they generally question binaries overall. What about media at the edge? I'm wondering how committed you are to thinking through, as it were, non-traditional forms of media in, in, in expressing these voices, and, and, and particularly how philanthropy might engage with media that are only now emerging. So um, I look to uh, the new generations of digital technology and younger generations, because that blend um, is really charting out a new course. So you could talk about gaming, you could talk about, um, you know, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, 360 storytelling, this kind of convergence of the technological um, with content, with storytelling. And, and young people are actually threading that needle in interesting ways. And we need to be thinking through how all of these can be um, used to achieve you know, progress on the goals um, that we have in, in social justice philanthropy. So one of the challenges um, often raised um, uh, to, to, to me and to you and to others in this world is so you're really in the consciousness raising business so tell me how you're going to ma- ma- measure raised consciousness and then tell me how, how you're going to um, as it were argue for attribution between the raised consciousness and the eventual outcome you know, there's this qualitative, quantitative approach to measurements, right, that has a long history in philanthropy. But I do think we're going to be able to take both a longitudinal measurements on things and really make a case that the building of trust, you know, cohesion in community, uh, resilience in community, ability for a community to articulate um, and have its own, articulate its own ideas about what it needs and have, as I say, this kind of form of narrative literacy. One will be able to measure the ways in which people start to be able to manage their social media. Um, It comes to a point that a colleague of mine made. She said, you know, art and culture, and in this case, storytelling as an example of that, are not going to change the world in and of themselves. But you will not see change in the world unless art and culture are part of it. So one of the things that's important is that we get to hear voices we don't usually hear, voices at the margin. Um, uh, how do you? How does one go about crowding those in rather than out? So that's a great question, and Iris really does want to focus on voices that are underrepresented, perspectives that um, are relatively unheard. Um, and in the case of Iris, that will be voices from what is called the often called the global south. And the interesting thing about margins and mainstreams, as we were talking about before, is that it's all in your perspective. When you're sitting in Nairobi, you're not a marginalized voice. But if that voice is not heard, you know, in New York or in Los Angeles or in uh, Amsterdam, then it is marginalized, right? So what we're trying to do is reverse that and really lift up and center, in a way, the voices and perspectives uh, of those storytellers and those narrative change makers that are working, you know, on the ground um, in regions that are not normally 
uh, platformed and prioritized. Yeah. So tell me how, how you know, I'm a philanthropist listening, listening to this, and I understand that, that stories are a way of unlocking empathy, and I understand that more cooperation is better than less cooperation. But what do I, what do, I do? This sounds quite abstract. Tell me how, tell me how to engage Well, I would say, uh, and I've had this conversation with a lot of um, people of means uh, that come and they say, I either want to get involved in storytelling, I want to fund films, I want to think about narrative strategies, but I don't know how to do it. And so the first thing that I would say is allow yourself a space of learning, right? Where you can audit, I I often talk about doing a self-audit or an institutional audit around risk tolerance, um, around the goals that you have, and then working with people, often you can have advisors, consultants, in other words, you can take it step by step and begin to immerse yourself in the world of how to support artists, how to support storytelling, how to think about um, engaging with questions of narrative strategies inside the larger work that you might be doing. It is possible, and you can learn as you go. Um, And then you will make decisions about how and where you're most comfortable deploying, uh, deploying resources into this space. But uh, the conviction that I have is that it is a necessary component to any successful strategy. So, Cara, one of the one of the things that's happened in philanthropy in recent years is a is there's been a kind of split between uh, philanthropists who support existing institutions, cultural institutions, let's call them galleries or theatres or museums uh, or operas or arts groups, and those who um, who argued that philanthropy has a duty to be more directly impactful. Let's say philanthropists who support um, uh, interventions against malaria. Um, and I wonder if your narrative emphasis is a way of making a bridge um, uh, between those two kinds of philanthropy, um, where it is no longer possible to argue that supporting arts institutions is necessarily at odds with direct social progress and impact. You know, Stefan, I think you've got it exactly. Uh, And I think that that's precisely why we wanted narrative strategies to be a part of the puzzle between creative storytellers and civic innovation. And I would say it's a both and answer, not an either or situation. And I look to Ford, um, even though Ford is, you know, massive, in terms of philanthropy, it still um, does both. It funds arts and culture as a kind of um, example of symbolic power, if you will. And it also funds directly into issue areas using policy reform, litigation, etc. That what I'm proposing is that you actually begin to figure out how to blend the two. How do you integrate Um, the cultural piece, the expressive piece into um, the strategies that are more issue-based. And that's really what's underneath IRIS as an experiment. Can we do this and how do we do this well? Brilliant. That's extremely helpful. Cara, I'm very grateful to you. Thank you so much for such an interesting conversation. Well, thank you, Stefan. I hope you enjoyed Cara's lifetime of exploration into the power of storytelling just as much as I did. Join us next time to hear from Per Hagenes, 
who is the fearless leader of the IKEA Foundation, one of the biggest philanthropic foundations in the world.